This is episode 48 with Ankur Gopal, founder and CEO of Interact. You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. There's math and economics built into the the feel-good stuff we talk about, which I think is the best way to do it because, you know, nonprofits are only one 0.5% 0.5% of the economy. So if you rely on nonprofits to do this, it's not going to work. Welcome back to an all new episode of The Multiplier Effect. We are excited to have Endeavor Louisville back on the show with us today. This week, Jackson Andrews, Managing Director of Endeavor Louisville, sat down with Ankur Gopal, founder and CEO of Interapt. Ankur founded the company with a vision to create a world-class IT company that transforms clients and empowers humans through technology. In Interapp's early stages of growth, the company struggled to find local tech talent. And so to solve this challenge, Interapp turned to a unique solution by creating their own talent. With a dedication to corporate social responsibility, Gopal saw an opportunity to uplift citizens in his home state of Kentucky by providing tuition-free software development training. And many of these individuals had been living paycheck to paycheck, but they now had the economic freedom and stability to support their families. And so since that time, Interact has hosted programs in Glasgow, Kentucky, Louisville, and most recently in Atlanta. And today on the show, Anker shares how he and his team at Interact are continuing to solve the tech talent gap in the heartland through their unique programs and how companies can help to support the bold ambitions we all have for building a more inclusive and diversified tech industry. Jackson, take it away. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome a, a dear friend, an Endeavor entrepreneur, the founder and CEO of Interact, Ankur Gopal. Uh, welcome to the Multiplier Effect. Thank you, Jackson. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So, Interact is a high tech services and training company headquartered here in Louisville, Kentucky. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about the work and the genesis of of moving back home to found a high-tech company in Kentucky. Sure, I'm happy to. About I was in Chicago in graduate school at, at University of Chicago and was studying entrepreneurship and was planning on launching my company in San Francisco and Chicago. And along the way there, I I was incubating in, 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 in my parents' home of Owensboro, Kentucky, with the intent of moving the concept, the idea, back to Silicon Valley. And, and during that six months I was home, I met a lot of great entrepreneurs in the Kentucky area that I knew, my parents' friends. And they kind of said, you know, why don't we need entrepreneurs around here? Why don't you think about staying in Kentucky? And I said, well, that, that's not a good idea. But they <laughs> said, let us introduce you into to some of some key business leaders and, and, and movers and shakers and, and see if you they need what you have. And sure enough, we started selling in Kentucky. So to where I told my sort of advisors and mentors, I said, well, you know what? We're actually selling what we were doing in Kentucky. And, 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 and so maybe it's not a bad idea to consider it. And so we made a plan to stay here for one year and see how it shake, shook out. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> and here we're still in Kentucky. And, you know, the 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 evolution and the story evolved. It's way back then when I had zero employees, you know, some people had told me, you know, Kentucky could use entrepreneurs here, right? And then if you look at the evolution of having Endeavor 
come into the Louisville market in 2015, 16, you know, that was, it's also the sort of the same sort of mantra that we both follow that Kentucky and the region does need successful or high growth entrepreneurs here. And so that's kind of been the for us that we know we can make a major difference here, not just in the economy, but also the work we do, the, the, the market that we serve. We can do it from here, and we actually are very well positioned, even better positioned, I would say, to be in Louisville than other metros. Yeah, so, you know, every entrepreneur says, you know, starts off as crazy, and then they have to, quote unquote, grow up and become a real company. And that, that, that kind of, we seem to have this sort of mystique that once you're, you're an entrepreneur, once you succeed to a certain level, you've got to become more serious, more of an adult. And that's kind of what I was doing whenever we were growing. In 2015, we were selling IT services, mobile application development, web application development, you know, a number of areas into our major clients, and they were asking for more. So I said, great, we should probably hire a, a, a recruiting firm and an HR team to really, you know, grow up and hire in a very systematic way. Well, nobody wanted to move to Louisville, Kentucky, and, and, the, and the, there was scarcity in the market. So... Growing up, I basically quickly jumped back into being a young, brash entrepreneur and said, you know what, if nobody wants to live in Kentucky or nobody wants to move to Kentucky, I'm just going to find people that want to live here and skill them up, you know, and do it that way. And it was a very entrepreneurial sort of solution to to a business problem. And that's how we started. I took kids who were history majors, anthropology majors, non-traditional, taught them Python, taught them PHP, taught them software development lifecycle. And... You know, when that happened, we were just trying to solve a business problem in a creative way that allowed us to grow and scale because yeah. I, I didn't want to turn away additional work that our clients were, were giving us because that's the whole point. We, we did good work. You don't want to take a step back by saying, hey, I can't do this for you because I don't have enough people. So that was part of the, 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 the uh, motivation behind it. But as it worked, we were asked to go into an even more non-traditional and entrepreneurial area and Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky to help try and create skills and jobs there, which was more daunting, right? It's different when you take a college kid and change, teach them something different. That's a little more, sure. more uh, direct, but we went and did it. It worked. We got tremendous talent that way. We found diamonds in the rough and we actually naturally found penicillin. We didn't mean to set out to do this, but we got on the national radar. You know, Companies started asking us saying, hey, how can you do that for us? Can you build talent for us? Uh, and since then, we've done this in West Atlanta, Chicago, Texas, expanding to several new cities in the next couple of years, Frankfurt, Kentucky, you know. So there, there, there's, we, we found that to be our differentiator as well as a solution to a business problem that allowed us to scale. Now, if somebody comes to me with a PO for 150 people, we can do it. You know, I can, we can find the talent, build the talent, and that's what really allowed us to scale, or sorry, prepare for scale is that we just took an entrepreneurial approach to a talent problem. Let's talk about that more because you've found success through your training and apprenticeship model, which has garnered the attention of you know, the New York Times, Simon Sinek. Yesterday evening, you were featured on PBS's NewsHour, you know, national programming. And, and, and what you were doing in terms of reskilling folks to some of the geographies you're mentioning you're talking about Appalachia, Atlanta, Louisville, Chicago, so urban and rural areas, multiple socioeconomic backgrounds, multiple, you know, diverse ethnic backgrounds. And, you know, speak to that workforce that you're building. So 
for, since this is a podcast, I'll share this with the audience. I'm, I'm my parents are from India. I was born in Owensboro, Kentucky. So, so my my friends who are from India will will you know jo- they they jokingly you know call me a mutt, right? They don't they're like you're just a hybrid of all sorts of cultures. And so I grew up with that sort of haha moments. But you know I realized that at the end of the day, whether I'm a Kentuckian son of immigrants, Indian, Indian American, Amer- whatever you want to call me, you know, at the same time, I'm still trying to find my pathway to the American dream as are most other people. So when you, when I looked at, when I looked at this training program, this training opportunity and who we wanted to bring in our company, yeah, it was, I was nervous. There was risk. And I said, but you know, at the end of the day, I just want people that can do the work and are willing to work hard and I can take care of the rest. So I can't teach that, but I can teach everything else. So when we were like I mentioned, that we first did this with college kids who couldn't get jobs. It worked. We then went to do something hard, which is high school graduates that may not have had the same digital literacy that many of us ha- grew up with in a, in, a, in a metro area. But that, that worked. We went to the poorest zip code in West Atlanta, found a 100% African-American population. That worked. We found, you know, we found in Chicago, we found the same sort of veterans and, and minorities and people and women trying to re-enter the workforce after 10 years of being a mom, and that worked. So when you look at all of these different, all these people come from backgrounds that are just different, fundamentally different walks of life, Republican, Democrat, big city, small city, black, white. The common thread between all of them is the, is the drive and the desire to change their life. Like we've had numerous people come to me and say, you know, I've, I was praying to God for years to, to, for, for something to change my life, and we think you're that. Now, that's a real daunting thing to hear because I have to remind people that while altruistic, and I get it, there's a feel, very big feel-good that I'm proud of, this is also capitalistic. Like, we are, it's a win-win. You are, I'm investing in a resource to get them market ready so I can sell that resource at a market price, at, the, at, the, at a price that is of value to the market that it will, that it will bear. So there's there's math and economics built into the the feel good stuff we talk about, which I think is the best way to do it because you know nonprofits right. are only one point five percent of the economy. So if you rely on nonprofits to do this, it's not going to work. Governments, we all know, governments take time and bureaucracy and have have, have turnover every four years. So it's up to the capital, it's up to the uh, corporate community to really engage in this type of model, support it, and really get it over the finish line. And that's exactly what we did. I tell my customers, if you don't like the people I'm bringing to you, don't pay me. But if but you're going to like them and you're going to want to buy more. And that has happened in 100% of our clients. Yeah. And I'll note that, again, Interapt is, is taking folks from a, a lower socioeconomic place, putting them to work at some of the largest companies in the United States and frankly, the world, you count Humana as a customer, EY, CVS, and a number of other you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 50 businesses, and you're proving in real time and over and over again that this workforce is super relevant, is motivated, and, and highly skilled. It's attracted a, a fantastic partnership with General Assembly out of New York, you've been voted one of the best places to work in Kentucky. You know, these partnerships, this diversity, you know, how have you been able to build and maintain this strong culture? But then particularly over the past year, 
you've been you've been doing this throughout the course of 2020 and into uh, 2021 virtually, but yet have continued to bring more folks into the workforce, expand your business, and grow exponentially. How did you do that? <laughs> Dumb Going luck. Back to- <laughs> well, there's always there's always a bit of luck in every entrepreneurial story, but I also believe you can create your own luck. So we were well positioned for this, right? I mean, we were we've been positioning ourselves and our story and our model in front of people for years, and you know the pandemic just kind of exacerbated that movement. So why? So case in point, you know, we 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 got affected by the pandemic like everyone else. Most of our training programs were were all in person. So with General Assembly as a great partner, they we shifted everything online in seven. Seven to ten days. I mean, it was that was not hard. We had been working remotely on projects for customers for for years, so that was not a hard lift for us. But you know, in the positioning side, we had customers who all of a sudden had their delivery centers in in India and the Philippines cut off from the rest of the world because they didn't have they were, there was a quarantine in their building and 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 in those areas don't have the same internet speeds at their homes in their neighborhoods, so they right. weren't able to connect through their VPNs. They weren't able to do the work. Our largest clients, like you mentioned, had fifty to 100,000 workers going home and trying to set up shop at their house in some crude manner, and they needed IT support. So they started asking us, hey, you guys do software development really well. Hey, you guys do data analytics really well. Do you ever you got any people who know IT support? I was like, yeah, we can figure that out. We actually had, you know, we actually built a division around it because we realized we got so good at it. We started with 10 people. They asked me for 25 more, then 50 more, then 75 more, then 100 more. We, we had hit, hit up almost 250 people inside one client. That And not only were we doing that in rec, record pace, we were our quality metrics were off the charts. They, their service level agreement required their vendors to hit an 85% quality rating. Their incumbent vendor was at about 70%. We were at 94%. So literally, not only were we able to be nimble, quick, jumped in the deep end of the pool with it to do the hard work, but we were also beating the pants off the quality metrics. That's the team thing. That was the, that's kind of the, the culture we built. That's kind of the, we're a yes first company. We like, we do say no, don't get me wrong, but, but that's the kind of thing that the team that we've been able to build has truly taken it, take it, they take on the hard stuff. They deliver the hard stuff. And I'm very proud of the team that we have built. I know it's cliche and you know, everyone says, but really like, you know, I take some of my outlandish ideas to them. And they're like, yeah, we could probably do that. That's, that's a great team to have at your back. So perfect segue. Let's talk about outlandish ideas. And I'd actually, because I know the origin story of this number, love for you to, to tell the origin story of this number first. But you have set uh, an audacious goal of creating 10,000 10, new tech jobs just in the state of Kentucky alone, right? You operate across the United States, but just in the state of Kentucky alone, you've set an audacious goal of creating 10,000 new tech jobs. Yeah. What's the yeah. origin story of that? So there's no secret that in 2015, when my company was just sort of taking off and getting the, the footing, you know, and Endeavor had come to town, you know, we had met, we, and we had, I had been put in front of an LSP, and I... And the, the founding chair, Mr. David Jones, founder of Humana, Fortune 70 company at the time, I believe. You know, I'm telling, and I and I'm in this room with billionaire entrepreneurs who have proven themselves, done amazing things, know how to play the game, know how to build the business and 
sustainable business on top of that. And I'm sitting there telling them my idea of how to create, you know, this need in the marketplace. This is going to be big mobile technology and IT services. I know people don't people don't like to investors don't like to talk about human capital's heavy companies. They want product companies. I said, no, this is this is the angle we're going to take. And one day I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you we're going to be a thousand people in my company. And Mr. Jones just looked at me deadpan and he said, he goes, why not ten thousand? I was like, excuse me. He goes, he goes, why not ten thousand employees? You said you have a good idea. If it's so damn good, why don't why not ten thousand? And I go, well, well, one thousand is really hard. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes. He said, well, so he goes. They goes, well, if you believe in your idea, you should believe it. It'd be ten thousand. And don't you agree? And he looked around the table. Don't you agree? And everyone nodded their head. I was like, well. I was like, did this guy, did these guys know that we're like 50 people right now? And I am, there is no way I could do that. But the seed was planted and the chat and the gauntlet was dropped. And as we have evolved from that, that advice has stuck with me. And it's also, and it's right. There's plenty of people, plenty of demand, plenty of market size. So now our, now our, it's not, it doesn't seem an audacious goal anymore. I know, I know the pathway to 10,000 jobs. We're on our way. We've already, we've had several announcements that we've just announced from the PBS. Tremendous traction from the PBS story. I've got my, my LinkedIn and my, my, our Twitter is blown up. And I've got emails that, from people who want to meet and companies who want us to build that same sort of uh, function inside of their business. So, it's, so I, I do see a pathway to 10,000. But it's all market driven. It's not, this is not charity. This is, this is a huge gap that we are going to solve for the marketplace. Yeah, the demand is there and the talent is there and the market is, is bearing that out in real time and you guys are well on your way, as you said. What do you see as the future of technology, talent and skills in the United States and beyond? I think it's going to be one of cross-pollination and, and multi-skill set, meaning that you know, when we, when, you know, if you went to college in the 80s or 90s, you know, you, your, your skill set lasted you about 20 or 30 years. That's typically what it was. You learn computer science now and you get, you know, you have a job for life, haha, as they said. And we've learned that's not true. Now a skill is worth about four years. So when you talk about people coming into the workforce, if they're not refreshing and fine tuning and adding on top of their skill set, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be kind of uh, obsolete if they don't, if they're not careful. Because we've seen that happen to people who were 20 years into a job, a company changed a tech platform or an ERP or something else, and they had no idea how to pivot and learn that or do that, and they wound up getting uh, phased out of the of, of the market of the of the job rather. And that's why I think that you know our model is taking that very seriously. So in our just to share with the, this group. You know, we have a very strong culture of upskilling and reskilling and adding on layers on top of layers. So the, the, the model is when we, when we do the financial modeling for an individual, you know, we are looking at them about 10 and a half months a year of being billable and about two to four weeks or two to six weeks, including vacation time of, be, of upskilling and training. Now we edit and we edit that as we go along, but it's looking like a, and it's probably trending towards where it'll be 10 months of work and two months of upskilling and vacation every month. Some people in our company do like to take vacation and then learn a skill. That's up to them. So we're working on these types of models where we're incentivizing and rewarding people for adding additional skill. You do get a raise. You do get uh, you know some sort of stipend. You do get some support. 
And uh, we think that's going to be the, the future state of all companies. If you don't build in that component, you're going to, you're going to, your velocity is going to suffer and that'll lead you to, you know, losing to your competition in the marketplace. Yeah, it's that it speaks to the power of not just reskilling and upskilling, but the power of the apprenticeship model yep. um, you're, you're, that supports you lifelong to, learning. Yeah, it is, you have to be a lifelong learner. And it's cliche, I know, but, but, but we, have, we have built that into our economics. That's fantastic. So you ready to get crazy? Let's do it. All right, let's get crazy. So the co-founder, whom you know well, of Endeavor, Linda Rotenberg, often says, you know, crazy is a compliment, right? Which we yeah. absolutely take to heart at Endeavor. What has been your call me crazy moment? <laughs> I mean, from day one, I told, you know, when I told my graduating class at Booth that I was going to go back to Kentucky and incubate and start this company, they thought it was crazy. They said, why would you, who goes to Kentucky to start a high-tech company? Well, I said, well, I go, I go, I could be one of, I could be one of one there or one of 10,000 in San Francisco. So, you know, what, what, what harm, what harm, and if it, and if it always, if it doesn't work, I can always move to San Francisco. So, so that's, that was the, that's the earliest stage of crazy on the business side. I mean, I can tell you, if you want to go back to kindergarten, I can tell you what my teachers used to say about me as well. But What, but what I, did your teachers say about you? <laughs> well, I will say, <laughs> they, they, they said that I, I was the, so I'll give you a, a story that my dad tells. In, my dad used to wake me up at 5.30 in the morning to do math. He's engineer. He's very smart. He, he, and he would teach me in eighth grade, ninth grade. You know, we'd, we'd wake me up at 6 a.m. I hated it, and I'm doing, like, calculus almost in trigonometry in eighth and ninth grade because my dad said that you know he learned it in fourth grade so why can't, why why can't i learn in eighth grade so i would go to the classroom and then my teachers would you know i would cut up in class i would make some jokes or something and i'd disrupt the class and the teacher would say hey mr gopal if you're so smart why don't you come up to the board and show the rest of the class and I would. <laughs> and I would answer the question. And so my teacher actually called my parents and said, you need to stop teaching him in the mornings because he's because he's doing this in the, in the classroom. And then, haha, that's a kind of a funny thing. But the truth is that the teacher said, teacher said, he, he, he's going to he's going to be really successful one day or he's not. <laughs> and, so, and, and, so you, yeah. So you were you were born crazy. I kind of was. I was born. I was born. I was born to ask why and push the norms. I always didn't understand why. Like, and and, and it, it carries on to my entrepreneurial and business. Like, why can't we take now? What because because you because it hasn't been done. Well, that's not. That doesn't mean it can't be done. It means it hasn't been done, right? So, so finding. So my wife. My wife was interviewed for what an inter, an article a couple about a year and a half or two ago, and I think she said it best when. She said, when they were asking her about me, he said, you know, Ankur doesn't see obstacles. He doesn't see roadblocks. He sees ways around them. And I think that is the true puzzle-solving nature of my personality is that, you know, I can be a grown-up businessman and businessman and, you know, do the right things, have an HR department, build internal processes, and those are all important, and we have them. But I'm not the one to build them, and I'm not the one to kind of, you know, be held accountable to to operate and be executed. I hire really good people who are doing that to do that part. My job is not chief executive officer. Actually, Simon Sinek said this, you know, to me. He said, you're not the chief executive officer, you're the chief vision officer. And I thought that to heart. You know, if you're an, ex you know, that one of, one of them is kind of like managing the wake. Another one is, is, is 
is, is forging the path forward. And I know my strength is forging the path forward. So sometimes it is crazy, like Linda says. Sometimes it is audacious. And sometimes it makes, per- it makes perfect sense to the people who are connecting dots with me. And, you know, the support we've gotten, Endeavor Mentors, Brooke Smith, Corky Taylor, people in my, in my tribe that have helped me, Stacy Griggs, you mentioned all those folks, are, are wonderful to bounce them off of because they're no help. I, I want them to tell me, you're crazy, you shouldn't do that. And what do they say? Oh, heck yeah, that's a great idea. Go for it. And so far, they've been right. So I'll, I'll keep following their lead. That's fantastic. All right. Here's some rapid fire question. You're not allowed to think at all. You just have to spit out whatever comes to your mind. <laughs> Can uh, we edit for ed- edit for content, maybe? No, there's no edit safety. All right. I'm sorry. All right. The the net is gone. It's risk on encore. Are you all ready? Right. All right. Name a company and CEO that most inspires. I would say the cliche answer is is Richard Branson because the same reason that most Endeavor entrepreneurs probably like it. But I will say in my in my tribe in my network, I would say Corky Taylor because that guy has just got a track record among track records and he's done interesting things. He's never you know he's 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 you know doesn't have to work anymore and he's starting new companies from scratch. I mean that that to me is a how that's who I want to be you know when I'm in my seventies. Awesome. What are you reading or listening to right now, aside from the multiplier effect? I am not a huge book reader. I am a I am a blog reader. I'm a I'm a I'm a snippet reader. So I, I do I, I've tried to write read books, but I just generally say I could have I could have gotten the same output in men, you know in a different way. So I read some books, but most of my reading is is really going down rabbit holes on on Reddit or 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 the internet or internet blogs that I follow. Listen, listening to, I actually listening to uh, a bit of optimism by Simon Sinek, you know, that's inspiring stuff. It helps give me some clarity on some of the business decisions I have to make. So that's the, I do listen to podcasts quite often. So I guess that's the closest, that's the best one I'm listening to right now. Fantastic. What's some of the best business advice? And you've alluded to, to some examples already, but, but what are, what are some of the best business advice you've ever received? I would say, gosh, so much. Where do you um, start with that? Best business advice. Oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to my dad. And and I remember back in my early days, this is 12 years, 15 years. This is before Interapp was started, my first company that I was doing, which was in healthcare and revenue cycle management. It's also the software. But I remember things weren't going well. Sales cycles were long. I was running out of money every month. And you know, I wound up interviewing with a major consulting firm for a strategy job, and they gave me an offer. And, I, and my dad was visiting India, and I had a call with him, and he said, and, and he goes, Dad, he was, I said, Dad, things aren't going well. I probably may want to shut it down. I got this great offer, but essentially it's doing what I'm doing for a company, for another company. And he said, well, how long did it take you to get that job? I go, about three weeks. He goes, well... And why don't you give it another six months at your company? And if you can get a job in three weeks, what's this, why can't you wait six more months? And I did it. And we closed our two biggest clients in that six months. Never looked back. Awesome. So as we're coming up at the end, what's a fun fact about yourself? And, and you know, <laughs> I know there are a bunch, so you, oh, can't, you can't hold back. What's a fun fact uh, about yourself that, you know, folks may not be able to find on uh, Google? 
Well, thankfully, it's not any. I, this happened before the age of cell phones and social media. But I used to I used to DJ nightclubs in Chicago to pay for graduate school. So I I learned how to become a house DJ in 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 college, and I loved it. It's a big hobby of mine. It's a rush to you know fill an audience, make an audience go crazy. It's and I wound up DJing Dennis Rodman's club as a house DJ for a period of time in some of the best clubs in Chicago. Those were some great parties and great times. But man, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just super glad that there's no cell phones back in 2004 or five, whatever that was. So, but it's it, that that's something that most people are shocked to hear about about me. Wow, it's a fantastic. It's been a fantastic journey, Encore. It's always a pleasure. It is J- July Fourth weekend, and you certainly exemplify the American dream, not just individually, but for what you're uh, doing to change the lives of so many. So, thanks for sharing your inspiring story. And now let's go to the July Fourth barbecue and have some fun. Sounds good. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks, Endeavor, for all you do. Thanks, Encore. Special thanks to Anker for joining us on the show. For more information about this episode, head to our website at themultiplieraffectpodcast.org. See you next week.